think looking at some of these new types of resources is going to show that the U.S. does have quite a bit of lithium and it's captured in a variety of different types of lithium resources. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Dauenhauer. Today we're talking about tapping one of our nation's richest sources of geothermal energy for lithium. We first heard about the potential to harvest lithium from California's Salton Sea region back in episode 62. My guest in episode 153 mentioned that there were some studies to see just how much lithium was there. My guest today has that number, over 3.4 million tons, found in the brines thousands of feet below the surface. They say that's enough lithium for batteries in 375 million cars, more cars than are on American roads today. It's still early days before we see commercial mining operations and gigafactories in the next county. My guest says there are about three companies currently exploring what they call direct lithium extraction, or DLE, technologies in the area. DLE is essentially the only acceptable method of extracting lithium here because the region is also home to rich geothermal energy fields. You pump all the brine out and evaporate it like they do in Chile, and you'll run out of geothermal energy. With DLE, you're selectively extracting lithium from the brine and pumping it back into the ground. If you model this just right, you can avoid quickly circulating the same brine that gets less lithium-rich as it cycles to the surface. I also asked, and I'm pretty impressed with myself on this one, if there might be a possibility that these once-saturated brines could then pick up more lithium from the rocks down below. My guess is it's a possibility. In fact, they're studying that as part of their follow-up to this latest report. It's information like this that shows just how substantial the Salton Sea is for lithium and how many other sites around the country could be rich in the mineral as well. My guest today is Pat Dobson, staff scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and lead on this study to characterize lithium in the Salton Sea. The report was released just last month and is certainly exciting for anyone who wants to see more of these resources developed locally rather than in another hemisphere. The study was performed for the Department of Energy and the Geothermal Technologies Office, who I've had on several times in episodes 62, 83, and 119. I was also interested in how this plan to extract lithium would also dovetail with the continued production of geothermal energy, which is probably my favorite renewable energy, if I'm being honest. In addition to the Salton Sea study, we also discuss what other sources of lithium hold promise around the country. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pat Dobson. Pat Dobson, staff scientist with Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and the lead on the study we're talking about today. And Pat, I knew about geothermal energy being produced in the Salton Sea region. And I had a guest on who said that research was being done to analyze mining lithium there. So tell us about this new report and what you found. Sure. The genesis of our study went back to an earlier project that we were doing for the Department of Energy's Geothermal Technologies Office. And we were asked to do a retrospective analysis analysis of previous project that they had funded looking at critical minerals and geothermal fluids. And their studies 
really focused on three different topics. One was looking at what are the resources contained in geothermal brines? What are the technologies that are needed to extract or recover those resources from the brines? And then looking where available data on looking at how economic would it be to do those recoveries? And then looking at the resource component, we noticed that there was a huge potential resource associated with the Salton Sea geothermal field brines, but no one had really done a very extensive and systematic quantification of that resource size. And so we proposed to the Geothermal Technologies Office that we be allowed to conduct such a study. They were enthusiastic about that, and they also asked if we would be willing to include two other components to our study apart from characterizing the resource. One was looking at the environmental impacts potentially associated with the lithium recovery from the geothermal brines, and two, to initiate community outreach activities to communicate our work and to understand the questions that people in the community might have regarding this activity. And so the big headline, I think, was that you found an awful lot of lithium <laughs> as, a, as a resource, right? That's correct. And so we conducted our research to basically try and figure out using publicly available data, you know, how big that resource might be. And the steps sort of pretty much were as follows. There's a lot of information that's available through the state of California's Department of Conservation site called Geosteam, which provides extensive amounts of well data for most geothermal and oil and gas wells throughout the state. And we focused, obviously, on the geothermal wells from the Salton Sea geothermal field. That provides information on how much brine is being produced, how much brine is being re-injected, how much energy is being generated, and also specific aspects about individual wells. And we were able to use that database in addition with a lot of published information that exists in the scientific literature to really constrain that resource estimate. And if you want, I can sort of walk through how we did that. Yeah, let's go ahead into that. We all know it's there. So how do you quantify how much lithium is actually there? How'd you do that? There's a number of different pieces of information that we need in order to do that. First off, think of the lithium as present. It's dissolved constituent in these geothermal brines. And the brines are really salty. They are much saltier than the ocean. About 25 weight percent of the brines consist of dissolved salts. And that includes about 200 parts per million of lithium. So it's a small component overall in the amount of solid components dissolved in the brine. But when you look at the volume of brine that's present in this system, it adds up to a lot of lithium. We see a pretty good correlation between chloride concentration and lithium concentration. And we come up with an estimate of just under 200 parts per million of lithium as on average for the brine concentration. The next challenge is to figure out, well, how much brine is actually there? And one misconception that people might have is that they hear the word salt and sea and they think, the lithium's in the Salton Sea. It's not in the Salton Sea. It's in the Salton Sea Geothermal Reservoir, which lies at depths of thousands of feet below the ground surface. This geothermal reservoir consists of sedimentary rocks, primarily sandstones and siltstones, and the brine resides in the pore spaces between the different mineral grains and in fractures within the rocks as well. So what we need to do is look at what we call the porosity. Think of it as that's the open space in the rock, and we have a number of studies that had previously published the measured porosity values in the rock as the function of well and function of depth. And so what we looked at were the changes in porosity as a function of depth throughout the field. We see that, as you might expect, as the sediments get buried deeper and deeper, the pore spaces become more and more compacted and the porosity becomes reduced. 
You also with hydrothermal alteration, that is with hot water brines interacting with the rock, there's mineral reactions that can also cause the precipitation of what we call secondary minerals that can also fill in that open pore space. The third thing we need to know is the thickness of the reservoir, and that's where we utilize the database from the state of California to estimate the reservoir thickness. And it's just over a kilometer thick. It could extend deeper, but as you go deeper, the porosity gets more and more reduced. And then the final component is sort of the aerial footprint of the resource. The first aerial footprint is where we have lots of wells. We're really, really confident that the resource extends to that area. And this is based on a study that was published back in 2016. The second one is a bigger footprint, which is how far we think that resource extends. And so currently the field is developed to the tune of 400 megawatts of power production, but that extended resource goes up to almost three gigawatts of potential geothermal power production from that larger reservoir footprint. Part of that reservoir extends underneath the existing Salton Sea itself. And so at this point, it may be impractical to develop or reach out into that part of the reservoir. So we have a third category which is basically that larger footprint minus a swath of area that lies underneath the Salton Sea that may be inaccessible at this point in time. One final component is converting the volume into weight because we're looking at the weight of lithium. And conveniently, the geothermal brine is about one gram per cubic centimeter. So it's an easy conversion. It's just a value of one. So that's how we go about making those estimates. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for the explanation there. And I think that goes a long way towards how they probably estimate a lot of things, you know, recoverable amounts of a resource. One of the other things is the way you extract this kind of lithium. I've covered the process for extracting lithium from brine using evaporation. It takes a lot of acreage use, and you also lose a lot of the lithium during the precipitation process. That happens a lot in places like Chile. We've all seen those images of those ponds. But what you were describing in the report is something called direct lithium extraction. What is that and how would that work? The one real advantage from a sort of environmental impact standpoint for the lithium geothermal resource that we have at the Salton Sea is that it's contained, dissolved in a brine like you have in South America. And the idea is that instead of concentrating the brine further to increase the amount of lithium in it by using evaporation and having these giant evaporation ponds, there are a number of different types of physical procedures that one could do either using adsorption or some sort of ion sieve to basically selectively extract or remove the lithium ions from the geothermal brine. Running the brine through a system that has either these ion exchange systems or some sort of way of physically extracting the lithium from the brine and leaving all the other constituents dissolved within the brine. One of the things that's actually happening is that in South America, there's been quite a bit of local opposition to environmental impacts that these giant brine ponds are having in terms of basically such a huge land footprint and also the loss of a huge volume of water to the atmosphere due to evaporation. And so there is a move to apply direct lithium extraction technology to extracting the lithium from the brines in the South American Solars as well. Yeah, I've had a guest on Energy X and they had a solution to basically take the lithium directly out of it as opposed to evaporate 
rating. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting that they told me was they had had these conversations with folks in Chile. And I think they said that the people who had set up all these evaporation ponds really didn't want to have to throw away their investment. So I think what they were going to do is they were going to intercept <laughs> the ponds, I think, after one or two stages of evaporation. That way they wouldn't have to just dismantle the ponds. But, you know, that was a question I was going to ask was, is there a reason why they evaporated? And here in the Salton Sea, we would talk about not doing it. It sounds to me like we would be incorporating the newest technology when we start, right? So there's another reason why it's important to re-inject a vast bulk of the geothermal brine back into the subsurface. It's important for sustaining the geothermal reservoir to maintain reservoir pressure. If one were to not replenish the reservoir with the fluids, the pressure in the reservoir would decrease and the production rates of the existing geothermal wells would decline. A second thing is that the brines contain basically an elemental table of dissolved constituents. And some of these are potentially hazardous. They're, they're heavy metals that are dissolved in these brines like zinc. If we were to just have the brines out in the open and have them evaporate, you could potentially have a much more serious environmental impact on the local environment as these components are being concentrated. By having it as a closed system where you're selectively removing lithium, and there's also the idea that you could remove other components. You could remove manganese. You could remove zinc that would be important components for critical materials for the green economy. And so I think most of the companies that are looking at lithium recovery are also looking at can we obtain additional mineral benefits from these high salinity brines at the salt and sea geothermal field. Right. My guess is that you're basically taking a slipstream of the fluid that's coming up during normal geothermal energy production. You're processing it for the lithium and you're sending it back down. Is that right? These would be co-located yes. at a geothermal plant? There are basically three companies that are involved with current plans to extract lithium from the geothermal brines at the Salt and Sea Geothermal Field. First one is Berkshire Hathaway Energy Renewables, and they have actually constructed a pilot plant that's been in operation for over a year now on a smaller scale, recover lithium chloride from the geothermal brines. They're in the process of building a second facility that would then convert that lithium chloride to lithium carbonate, which is one of the materials you would use for building a lithium battery for electric vehicles. Another company, Energy Source Minerals, has done extensive pilot tests and they're in the process of getting ready to break ground on a commercial scale facility that would extract lithium from those geothermal fluids after they've already been used for power generation, just like at Berkshire Hathaway. They would be making a slightly different end product, lithium hydroxide monohydrate, as their end product. They're planning to have commercial operations with lithium production begin sometime in 2025. And then the third company, Controlled Thermal Resources, they drilled their first two wells on their property almost two years ago, and they've done some initial field tests on their lithium recovery technology. Because they haven't built a power plant, they don't have operations, they're looking at fundamentally making the lithium recovery process an integrated part of their system from the ground up. And so they think that they can gain some advantages. For the other areas, it's going to be basically something that's a retrofit to the existing geothermal brine production. So after the brine's gone through the separators to separate out steam, the steam goes to the turbine, the brine goes to what we call these clarifier tanks. The clarifier tanks, because they have such high salinity brines, they're used to precipitate out some solid materials known as iron silicates. The iron silicates is sort of a type of a sludge. It's tested for concentrations of potential hazardous materials. If it passed the test, it goes to a standard landfill. If it has higher concentrations, it goes to a more restricted landfill. 
material. And so those materials are something that's part and parcel of all these geothermal developments in these highly saline fluids. Once the brine gets through that, it currently gets just re-injected back into the subsurface. With the geothermal lithium extraction, it would then go to a geothermal lithium recovery facility where they would apply the direct lithium recovery process, DLE process, to that residual brine before it then gets pumped back underground to replenish the geothermal reservoir. And so I think my question is, you have a single well, you're pulling up the fluid, and then you're extracting the lithium and putting it back. And I guess this is a bigger question about what is going on under the rock, right? Like if you're pulling brine up from a central location and then you're injecting it again, I assume that region would become more and more dilute of lithium. And does the fluid move around enough so that you're picking up fluid that has lithium in it and not just picking up the same fluid over and over again? So that's a really good question. And that's something that part of our team, a group of geothermal reservoir modelers from the University of Auckland in New Zealand addressed in, in our study. And that is currently reservoir management has focused on what we call thermal breakthrough, because what we're doing is we're producing hot brine in our production wells. We're extracting steam, we're extracting thermal energy from those brines, and we're injecting colder brine back into the reservoir. And what we don't want to have happen is that the temperature of our production wells decline significantly over time because that will reduce the amount of steam that can be generated and the amount of power that can be produced. Going forward, it's going to be important to make sure we don't have what we call chemical breakthrough. And as you alluded to, if we're successful in the DLE process, being able to recover the lithium from the brines, they're going to be re-injecting back into the reservoir lithium-poor brines that are going to dilute the overall concentration of lithium in that subsurface geothermal reservoir. It's going to be important to optimize the location of our injection and production wells to basically delay the arrival of those lithium-poor brines into the production well fluids. That's going to be another sort of optimization lever that the geothermal reservoir engineers and the field operators are going to need to take into consideration to basically make the lithium production as well as the steam production optimized over a long period of time. Where's the lithium coming from? So if you have lithium dilute fluid going back in, was the brine picking up the lithium from the rock that was already there? And I guess if you had dilute fluid, would it be picking up more lithium that's in the rock right now? So that's another topic that we've been addressing as well as part of our research team. We have a group of scientists at UC Riverside, and one of the questions we wanted to answer was we know that there's lithium in the brine. Where is the lithium present in the actual rock itself? What mineral phases does it reside in? And potentially, could those mineral phases sustain or replenish the lithium that's in the brine as you decrease the lithium concentration of the brine over time? And so Jen Humphreys, a graduate student at UC Riverside, did some really exciting measurements using a tool called laser ablation ICPMS. And it's basically you're using a laser to basically vaporize small bits of rock that are just a few, you know, 10 microns in diameter. That vaporized rock then goes through an induced coupled plasma mass spectrometer. That's what ICPMS stands for. And it can measure the concentration of each element that's present in that blasted piece of mineral. And so by looking at her samples previous to that, she can identify the different mineral phases. Then she can basically analyze the amount of lithium and other components of those mineral phases and basically see where's the lithium in the rock, you know, where's Waldo? And what she was able to ascertain is that with the samples that we looked at to date, the lithium primarily resides in a mineral known as chloride. And this mineral, which is a layered silicate mineral, has lots of silica, has iron and magnesium and a number 
other components is typically formed by hydrothermal alteration of the sediments that were deposited in the salt and trough. And so it's a hydrothermal mineral that's fairly recently formed that's incorporated lithium into its structure. One of the things that we're planning to do as sort of a follow-up part of our project is to do some experiments in conjunction with uh, researchers at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, to basically determine the thermodynamic properties of this lithium-bearing chloride and to be able to predict whether or not the chloride could potentially replenish lithium that's in the brine as the brine concentrations decrease. Because what we know just from mass balance, there's more lithium in the rock then there is lithium in the brine. 90% of the reservoir consists of rock, not of brine. And even though the concentrations of lithium are lower in the rock than they are in the brine, just the amount of mass itself makes it so that it has a fairly significant component of lithium itself. So those are ongoing experiments and modeling activities that will happen over the next year or two that will hopefully address that particular question. How the lithium got there to begin with is a whole nother tale. And what we see is that the lithium has a number of different sources. There are, as I mentioned, these sedimentary rocks. These are sediments that were deposited by the Colorado River system when we see that there's the ancient lake that has filled up repeatedly over time in this area that's very tectonically active. The Salton Trough itself is below sea level and that's because it's an area with a lot of subsidence due to this tectonic activity. It's the southern extent of the San Andreas Fault and it's sort of an area where you go a transition from the slipping boundary between continental plates to an extensional boundary and this is what's created the rift that's created the Gulf of California. You have California. So that rift area is moving north into California and it creates a zone of high heat flow. That's why we have the geothermal system. It has an area of volcanism. We have volcanic domes adjacent to the Salton Sea itself that are less than 5,000 years in age. So the volcanic rocks have lithium in them. The sediments that were deposited from the Colorado River system have lithium in them, fairly low concentrations. You have flooding in this area. And when you have evaporation that occurs naturally as the Salton Sea is currently drying out, as it dries out, we form evaporite minerals. These minerals concentrate different salts, including lithium salts. Then these are buried and then they're redissolved by the circulating hot geothermal fluids and incorporated into the geothermal brine. So it's a prolonged story, a lot of different steps that creates this unusual concentration of lithium in these high temperature circulating geothermal brines at depth. Yeah, I was figuring that the fluid is just basically saturated at this point. So yeah. if you unsaturate, then maybe it'll just reabsorb more lithium. So it depends there. on the solubility of the chlorite and how willing it is to give up the lithium that right. has incorporated in its mineral structure. So that's what we're planning to do is work with this team at UNC Charlotte. We'll use the results of those experiments to plug into our tough react modeling system that will be used to predict the behavior. And one of the things we're concerned is, you know, what is the time frame that these reactions occur at? Is it over geologic time? Will it take thousands to millions of years for it to give up more lithium? Because we're going to be extracting lithium in the rate of tens of years. And so just knowing the kinetics of these reactions is important to understand as well. Earlier, you were talking about technically recoverable. And I think you did identify what is maybe not technically recoverable. And I guess two things. One is what's not technically recoverable. Is that part of the 3.4 million tons that are available? Available of lithium, and then also does this concept that we're talking about right now, where we think that maybe you could be getting more lithium from the existing rock. What's making that line there? Okay, so I think what I was trying to refer to before is technically accessible rather than recoverable. So our study only looked at the total amount of lithium contained in the brines. We did not try and assess how much of that lithium is actually going to be feasibly and economically recovered at the surface. And so, you know, right now we look at the brines; they have 200 parts per 
million lithium. With time, we predict that the lithium concentrations of the brine will decrease. And at some point, the economics will dictate that it's no longer economically viable to continue recovering the lithium from the brine once it reaches a certain lower threshold limit where the concentrations are too low. We don't know that number in part because A, the economics haven't been proven yet, and B, the technology is still to be tested at a commercial scale. So our real goal was to just to find out how much lithium is there, figuring out how much of it is actually going to be commercially recoverable is, I think, a step for future researchers to take. Yeah. Pat, you talked a little bit about when you think you could start recovering lithium. You'd said that there were a couple of facilities that might be ready to go by 2025. Where does that lithium go? I think that that's an unanswered question. I know that in talking to some of the business leaders within the state of California, one of the objectives would be to have those products refined and developed into cathode and anode materials domestically. Currently, if you look at what happens with the lithium supply chain, a lot of the lithium comes from South America and Australia currently. But once that lithium is mined, it then gets shipped to China for processing. And I think it's important to see whether or not we can change that supply chain so that a lot of these steps would take place here in the United States. But that's sort of outside my realm of expertise. <laughs> but I know that that's something that's a key concern. And I know that if you look at some of the components of the BIL and the IRA, there's some huge incentives for having domestically produced components to batteries and electric vehicles be sourced domestically. And I think those were intended to basically kickstart the domestic sourced industry. I know we have gigafactories present, but in terms of making anodes and cathodes, those steps still need to be spurred on to have much larger types of production occur within the U.S. Right, right. I know those things have been in the works for a while now. Maybe they'll coincide by the time these yeah. facilities go live, right? You'd mentioned also this idea of public acceptance that yes. was part of the study. One of the things that we observed when the Lithium Valley Commission was holding its hearings is that we felt that it was important that the community have an opportunity to A, voice their concerns, and B, make sure that they benefit from this resource. Imperial County is the poorest and most impoverished county in the state of California. And it could really stand to benefit from having job training, good jobs result from this lithium development. So what we would want to see is that they have a voice at the table when all this happens and that their concerns are addressed and listened to appropriately. So we have done some initial public engagement. We've talked to different community groups such as Alianza Coachella, Comité Civico del Valle. We've met with community members at a elementary school in Nyland. We've talked to students at Imperial Valley College. But this is just the start. And what we need to do is have a sustained series of discussions with the community and engagement so that their voices are heard and that their concerns are addressed. And so the Department of Energy has provided us with additional funding moving forward to make sure that this is an important component of our research efforts. You know, typically as scientists, we do our research, we publish our results and we move on to our next project. And we'd like to change this philosophy to include community stakeholders having a voice and being involved in this process as well. Yeah. And Pat, I'm imagining we talked about DLE and the companies that are looking into it. These would be the first DLE projects on the planet, would they not? Is anyone else doing that right now? There are other groups doing it. And in fact, one of the companies doing it at the Salton Sea Energy Source Minerals has a process they call Atlas, and they're applying it to 
other lithium bearing resources in other parts of the world. So they're looking at some of the oil field brines that have elevated concentrations of lithium in a place called the Smackover Formation in southern Arkansas. And they're also engaged in doing DLE applications to Solar brines in Argentina. So they're seeing this as, hey, we have a technology that's not only applicable to salt and sea brines, but are applicable to other lithium bearing brines. There are other entities in other parts of the world that are looking at this. Europe is also focused on, for the green economy, we need to have reliable sources of the components that are going to be needed for battery storage. And so there's a company called Vulcan and another company called Lithium de France. They're engaged in looking at lithium sourced from geothermal brines in Europe. Lithium in these brines, some of them have elevated concentrations of lithium, and they've done some test studies for some of the geothermal brines in the Rhine-Graben, the French-German border, and are working on trying to go from the pilot scale production of lithium to actual commercial scale production. So this is something that it's not just a U.S.-based effort. It's a global effort. Yeah. And so with what we've learned and how we've been able to characterize what's going on in the Salton Sea, I'd be curious to know where else domestically we think there might be reservoirs like this. Now, I know that Nevada is currently mining lithium. I think they're using evaporation process. And you mentioned UNC Charlotte. I moved from Charlotte to Houston this summer, and I was aware that Albemarle has a lithium mine outside of Charlotte, right? right. So those yep. are really the big operations right now. That's correct. So the old form of extracting lithium was through what we call pegmatite mines. And these are basically hard rock mines that have minerals such as spodumene, which have high concentrations of lithium in the mineral phase. And so the biggest mines currently are in Australia, but there are pegmatite deposits in the U.S. and Canada and other parts of the world that have lithium in them. And the North Carolina mine that you mentioned, the Arbomile, there was lithium mining way back when, and they're basically looking at reestablishing mining operations there and looking at other deposits throughout the U.S. The US U.S. Geological Survey is working on doing an updated assessment of lithium resources throughout the U.S., and it's not just the hard rock resources. It's looking at lithium brines, both geothermal and other brines, looking at oil field brines, and then also looking at remining of previous mining operations. There's a U.S. borax operation near Hector in Southern California. They've been mining borax for decades there, and it turns out that the mine tailings contain lots of lithium in them as well. So they're working on figuring out ways to basically reprocess these tailings to extract lithium from them. In addition, there's another important resource of lithium that's being considered here in the U.S., and it's basically what we call a claystone lithium deposit. So it's altered volcanic rocks that have elevated concentrations of lithium. It's a mineral known as hectorite. The type locality is Hector, California. But there's a big deposit that's being currently proposed for a commercial mining operation known as the Thacker Pass deposit in northwestern Nevada in the McDermott caldera. And that represents a very large, you know, multi-million tons of lithium deposit here in the U.S. So if we look at what have been previously published as known lithium resources, U.S. didn't factor it is very highly in that. But I think looking at some of these new types of resources is going to show that the U.S. does have quite a bit of lithium and it's captured in a variety of different types of lithium resources. Well, that's very exciting. <laughs> All right. Pat Dobson, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about our project and a shout out to all of our team from across the world who participated in this study. 
That was Pat Dobson, staff scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and lead on this study for the Salton Sea. You heard Pat mention that the Salton Sea produces 400 megawatts of energy, but could produce as much as three gigawatts. He says those salty brines make this cost prohibitive in many cases, but he says the California Public Utilities Commission recently mandated another gigawatt of high-capacity factor green energy, which geothermal energy can uniquely provide. He believes that this market incentive, combined with the extra revenue stream of lithium production at these facilities, could give the region the proper business case to expand the Salton Sea's geothermal energy potential. I want to thank Pat for his time, as well as Rob Scholberg at the Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 175. Be sure to join us next week. We learn how AI is gauging online public support to help solar developers find the perfect site. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.